Want access to richer content and exclusive analysis on the business of sport? Sports Pro Plus is used by experts across the industry to make informed decisions, with two membership tiers offering access to original content, exclusive reports, and a suite of business intelligence tools. Become a member today at sportspromedia.com forward slash subscribe and use the code FCPOD10. That's FCPOD10 at checkout for a 10% discount. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football in association with Soccer X. Connecting football for 25 years. Hello and welcome to the Football Co. Business Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Manby, and on today's episode, I talked to Nora Hendrickson, Head of Sports and Managing Director at MediaMonks, the digital advertising agency whose client roster includes FIFA, Epic Games, and Nike. In this episode, we talked about digital innovation in women's football, something Nora is expertly placed to discuss, given that she's been behind much of the agency's extensive work in the area, working with the likes of FIFA, the Argentine and Mexican Football Federations, and Sweden's top female football division, the Damsval Skenskan. In this episode, we talked about her work with FIFA and other clients, the demographics of the women's football audience, which might surprise you a little bit, challenges facing the game and how they differ regionally, what it looks like in the US or Western Europe is very different from LATAM, for example. We also talked about how brands, federations and publishers like Football Co's goal should get involved in women's football, clue, authentically. One thing to note, I'm currently stranded abroad, so I don't have the usual equipment. There might be some issues with the audio quality, but it shouldn't impact too much. Right, without further ado, let's get stuck in. Nora, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I I know I'm going to enjoy this conversation. I'm sure you will. Let's start with FIFA then, the work that you're currently doing there. Am I right in thinking you are tasked with creating an overarching global strategy which is unique to women's football? Well, I, d- I wouldn't want to take away uh, the strategic work from, from the women's department, who's done a great job overall, a strategic work on women's football for FIFA. And that kind of is uh, something that you see in every channel and every work they do. So I, I wouldn't want to put it that way, because then I would kind of almost take away that work that they're doing internally uh, with Sarai Berman and her team that are like, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge admirer of what they're doing there. But I would say that, I mean, we do social media. So we do the, the Women's World Cup social media for FIFA. And to me, that works in a digital agency where, we, where social media is a big part of what we do. I think it's a very important part of the strategy. And I think it's a very, very important part to reach out to the community and to, you know, make sure that you connect with the community in the right way. And when it comes to that, I would take pride in uh, saying that we're playing a part there together with the FIFA team, because it's really like a close partnership and a close collaboration with with FIFA Digital. But yeah, that's really what I believe we are experts in, as well as like creating the content that is, you know, actually that content that is connecting to the community and that can, can grow that long term. So a collaborative approach, which teams at FIFA are you, are you working with? We're working with FIFA Digital. So it's basically all social media. And when you work with FIFA Digital and you talk about the objectives of women's football and the, and the strategy of which, as you say, social media is a big part, to what extent do you think the objective should be following versus taking a different path from the men's game? I think that's very interesting. And, and I would also say, 
I also kind of want to add, but that's also because we have such a collaborative way of working that, you know, team members in that digital team, in the social media team, they've been working like for decades uh, with women's football. So really kind of following the journey. But I think there's a big understanding and, and, and a shared mindset of, you know, the women's, women's channel is, of course, like an object for growth, right? Whereas the men's account is like, you know, it's, it's a pretty, uh, it's at a very, very good level. If you look at the amount of followers, uh, you look at kind of stable, uh, the stable content there, you know what will be working, etc. Quite many of the things that are working on the men's channel are working on the women's channel as well. Like it's highlights, right? Everybody wants to see nice goals, etc. But there is a different approach to take because the audience looks a little bit different. And there is also an opportunity to really, you know, I'm going to say that the words community and authenticity a lot, I think today, but uh, there is really an opportunity to, to connect with, like closer with a community who maybe thinks about football a little bit differently than I just think in general, it's always good to not to make sure that men's football, when also approaching a, a World Cup year, uh, or in the sorry, we're in the World Cup year now, to make sure that that doesn't cannibalize uh, on women's football because that's something that we've seen historically, right? So, so that's also super important. I really want to talk about the demographics of women's football, the audience who's consuming it. But before we get there, it's interesting what you say there, and it feels like perhaps the women's game being less established has scope to embrace digital innovation in, in a more agile manner. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I definitely think that, that that is true. I think it's true because a lot of players, I mean, they had to embrace or had to, I think they wanted to embrace the platform to to reach out to the community and to grow women's football. And, and they saw that maybe more as a, you know, almost a personal mission. I see a lot of like initiatives like, you know, for example, Magdalena Eriksson and Pernilla Harder, they reached out to, I think, yeah, I don't remember. It was a specific day, but they reached out to, to tell all their followers like, hey, if you want to talk about LBGTQ issues or, you know, anything like that, just like we're going to open up a chat. And that's like, there's no sponsors. There's no branding. Like, it's really authentic ways to connect with audience. And therefore, I think that, you know, using those digital platforms and almost having to, because maybe like you didn't have much other platforms. I think that's been, um, yeah, where they almost kind of front runners when it comes to that, because for men's football or for any sports, I think those kind of channels grew a lot during the pandemic. But for women's sports, that has been a, a really strong platform already. And then you see the partnerships, like you see partnerships with, with Google or you see partnerships with YouTube and Zone, or you see partnerships with NWSL and, and Twitch, like those tech giants uh, really kind of supporting the women's football growth. There is, a, there is really a connection there with kind of the new tech, new platforms, if we're going to call digital that. Where I think, yeah, there's an opportunity and women's sports in general and women's football to maybe even more has taken that opportunity, I think. Yeah. What's it like being a female footballer nowadays on social media? Do you think they feel more liberated than men's footballers who can sometimes, you know, feel a little bit media trained and very wary of stirring up controversy? Some of the answers that come from men's footballers can be a little anodyne at times. Do you think women are more liberated to talk about that? Or are they in fact restricted and sort of worried that they're being viewed through a different lens and therefore need to conform to a certain stereotype? Oh, that's such an interesting question because it's it's very twofolded, I think. I mean, of course, there is like more 
bigger sponsors and bigger managements often around big male football stars uh, so i mean you can sometimes see that if you look at the social media account of you know let's say tom brady or you know like a, a really huge athlete like that and nothing feels authentic right it doesn't seem like you know there's somebody else doing that stuff that's very I don't think you have to be a professional to feel that. But then on the other hand, so so liberation, I guess, if you don't have to always think about, you know, what would my sponsor say or having like a huge team that will handle your social media, et cetera, maybe that's liberating. But then on the other hand, I sometimes think, that, and this is kind of difficult because the strength of building community, of the authenticity, et cetera, it can always be almost be a burden. Uh, and I know that being a female athlete myself, because you almost always have to be political. You always have to speak for like the the bigger bigger purpose. But maybe sometimes you just you just want to be an athlete, right? And you just want to talk about your performance. So I think it's really yeah, it's twofolded. I can see that. I spoke to Peter Crouch on this podcast recently, and he had some very forthright views about players on social media and the fact that you perhaps can't see the personality of the player as much as you might have done in, in, in previous years or perhaps as much as he would like. So maybe that is something that, that the women footballers can do. At Media Monks, are there any recommendations you would give? And then beyond that, are there any players or clubs who you think do social media particularly well in the women's football space? Yeah, I mean, I think there are some things that you have to take into consideration. And I mean, that goes for, yeah, I guess like... Uh, like women's sports in general or any kind of activations, brand activations, tapping into the more commercialized part of feminism more so. Like you have to be true, right? So I think that you have to be like kind of tapped into the community to be to be driving those communication efforts. And also like football is football. Like it's not, it doesn't always have to be political. You don't have to treat like female athletes different than you treat male athletes. And I think it's important, like that also plays a part of actually being connected to, to the community because still the players are a big part of the community and the community are kind of built around those relations to players. And if you approach players, which still happening, and I think it's happening to quite large extent, if you're approaching them in a different way than you would do, like if you approach a female star differently than you would approach a male star. And as a journalist, I mean, that could be, or a, a marketeer, that could be anything from like what kind of thing you want them to do in front of a camera or when you're interviewing them or I guess the level of research you've done before like going there or doing a shoot or doing an interview etc so I mean yeah we would always recommend to be really respectful of the community and to have kind of the mindset that you know football is football that doesn't matter what gender plays it right so that I would say is definitely a recommendation authenticity again right and you ask who I think are doing it good. So I think that Together, who is having like a really kind of gen setter focus uh, on uh, women's sport uh, from a US perspective, I think they are doing really cool stuff because I think they understand the medium, they understand the platform, and they understand the community exactly that way that I was describing. Like they are a part of it and they're trying to, you know, really tap into that. So I think they are doing good stuff. I think Angel City is doing, maybe not, you know, maybe not like especially on social media, but they're really building like a community from scratch, right? Which I think is interesting. And that could be interesting for, you know, any marketing effort. Like, how is that done? Well, I think it's done like, you know, in a sustainable way, in an authentic way, etc. So, yeah, I think it's it's interesting. And then, of course, they have like these famous uh, owners and, and stakeholders. But, but still, I think what they do is interesting. 
And yeah, some clubs, I think Paris Saint-Germain is doing a great job on their social media channel too, but that's probably because they're doing very much of what they would have done uh, with the men's team. And they have like their supporters and even ultras uh, that are featured there and they just make it feel like football. Right. No, I'd agree with that. Can we talk about the demographics for women's football? We've done some work at Football Co. Maybe we can uh, compare notes, but um, I'd be interested to hear your take on the demographics, this audience who consume women's football. And, and perhaps is that what you would expect or perhaps is that what the public might expect? Yeah, definitely. would love to compare notes because I'm also curious, like, do you think that people are assuming that the fans of female football is also female or do you think they think it's the other way around? I'm a stat guy, Nora, so I've got a couple of stats for you, you know, to, right. to back this up. Um, <laughs> but but do you well, think no, people, I, how do you think people see it? No, well, I saw a, a Mediacom survey uh, fairly recent, which talked about, in fact, they asked, I don't know how many thousand people, who the audience is for women's football. And they asked men and they asked women and they asked you know older people and they asked younger people. And the interesting thing was 76% of respondents said that they thought the women's football audience are female. And then I did some digging and I looked at a, a couple of GWI reports and I saw that for the 2019 Women's World Cup, in every single region in the world, men outnumbered women in terms of uh, consumption. And in some cases, massively so. I mean, in Europe, it was something like 65% male viewership and 35% uh, female viewership. So I think it's a major misconception because I, you, know, you take the, the Mediacom survey and the GWI results and there's such a big difference between uh, what those two things show. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking too. Like, that's what, what I was aiming at. Because, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like most football fans are male, right? If you look at the, the demographics, so maybe it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise. But sometimes I just see this like assumption or I feel like there's assumption when you do activations that like you're all only talking to a female audience. But no, that's not the case, right? Because like the, it's still a bigger percentage of men watching women's football than it is female fans doing so. So I just think that that is super interesting. I think there were some, some interesting findings also. We did a survey with the Global Web Index and I've done like a, a really, or been, been part of, taken part of a, a really deep dive here in Sweden, like super locally. So Global Web Index, like uber global, right? Swedish survey, super local. But one thing that I kind of couldn't let go of was that there were like one finding in, in the Global Web Index that was like, you know, okay, so if you look at the female fan of women's football and the male fan of women's football and you compare their interests etc you don't find like almost anything in common but there was one thing in common and it was like the interest for vegan food then wow. you look at the yeah and then you look at the the, the survey here in, in sweden where there is a huge percentage of fans of women's football that are considering themselves you know purchasing consuming things that are sustainable, like really that kind of thinking to a much, much bigger extent than those who weren't uh, fans of, you know, women's football. So, you know, I can't help but thinking, is that is that a community that is kind of woke? Or is it like, you know, maybe you also, you know, when, when uh, Tobin Heath and Kirsten Press was uh, arriving in Manchester United, was it like, not this summer, but last summer, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. And, and suddenly their, the sales of their jerseys outnumbered any of the male stars uh, jersey sales. And that's kind of interesting because you're like, yeah, maybe you're a fan of them, but maybe you're also kind of a supporter and you're kind of making a statement. So I think there's some interesting things to some interesting findings there in that space. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, and we've seen a few other things like that. I, 
Again, I think this is from GWI. Uh, I saw that fans of the women's game are 55% more likely to be interested in political and social issues versus your your average uh, football fan. I think they're over twice as likely to want their favorite brands to sponsor good causes. So you can see there's, uh, you know, I mean, that's interesting from a marketeer's point of view, from a brand perspective, that, you know, fans of female football perhaps while still you know, more male than, than you might expect, are, are supporting some of these societal issues. The, the other example that I would point to is the U.S. women's national team, successful for many, many you know, decades, historically incredibly successful. But I feel like my perception anyway, is it was after the 2015 World Cup, and probably this is because of some of the footballers who were playing in the U.S. women's national team, most notably Megan Rapinoe, they started being more and more vocal about societal issues that they cared about. And there was an increase, a 500% increase in U.S. women's national team merchandise sales between 2015 and 2019. You're talking about two incredibly successful teams just four years apart. And yet that shows that the consumer reacted to these outspoken issues. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. No, but that's that's exactly the same as with Manchester United, right? I mean, probably people are doing it because they like Megan, but maybe they're also doing it to actually make kind of a statement. So you buy a jersey for yourself or for your daughter or son who's playing playing football, and you're choosing a, a female player over a male, maybe. And, and that's kind of a, a mindset, I guess. I think so. Perhaps it's also a difference in the way that fans consume women's football content. Men's football is still over 50% of all consumption of men's football is the live broadcast. That's obviously because of the preponderance of men's football on TV. And I think while women's football on TV, particularly in the live broadcast, is more prevalent, it's still way behind. You can't just switch on you know, your TV, whichever satellite channel or OTT you have, and expect to see women's football, whereas any night of the week you could see men's football. So perhaps that's about fans consuming content differently and perhaps it's about knowing the players in a different way do you think that's fair yeah i think so i i I think that's fair and i think that maybe when finding other platforms used to be a necessity if you look at which we do a lot like how gen setters consume sports i mean like they don't consume 90 minutes of football actually and and when i you know i pull up some of that stats sometimes when i talk to clients i'm like you know I'm 40. I still consume. I I love to see a full game. (laughs) But if I look at if we we need to kind of like respect a new kind of behavior around sports to be able to to not lose that audience. So if we're going to just feed the gen setters with like 90 minutes of sports, uh, sorry, 90 minutes of football and no uh, like, you know, second screen uh, experience or, you know, nothing else to it. There is a risk that they they are kind of maybe just going to stick to highlights, uh, et cetera. So like those kind of second screen activations or how you however you behave in OTT. And maybe this is a little bit of a sidetrack, so <laughs> I shouldn't say, but I just find it kind of interesting because the way gen setters consume sports and the way women's sports have kind of had to take other paths, often very digital paths, they kind of, you know, they kind of meet. So uh, I think that's interesting. And with the commercial growth of women's football, I think that's also kind of a part of it. No, I totally agree. I think it's an interesting conversation. And it's one that every sports federation out there is having right now. And you see stuff that, um, you know, Bohan is doing with Buzzer and how you manage to talk to Gen Z when perhaps they're not used to consuming 90 minutes live is, is is a massive challenge and will continue to be so maybe women's football is better positioned than men's football because of the consumption that people are already seeing in in that area i don't know 
Nora, what guidance would you give a brand or, or even a rights holder wanting to participate in women's football? Let's talk about a brand. If they say to you, you know, we've seen this stuff that you know, users of uh, fans of women's football are uh, passionate about societal issues and so are we and we want to talk to them and it's the right sort of demographic, but we've never done anything in women's football before. What advice would you give to them? To definitely put some of your budget into the strategic work and to the research. Um, because I think it's, I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand with other kinds of, you know, again, I don't want to politicize women's football, but if you're into it for the reasons that you just mentioned, you have to make sure that you're not kind of, you know, the equivalent of greenwashing, I guess, that you're not just kind of trying to be a part of something or trying to generate whatever your KPIs are through something that you see, you know, something that is authentic, but in an inauthentic way. So, yeah, I, I just think that is, you know, super important. And I see, you know, some players in the area as Google, for example, where you have like people in leadership positions who like used to be female athletes themselves. And, you know, you see that there's a honest, uh, honest way when approaching it. That's really where I feel like that's the match. Right. And if you don't have, as you say, if you don't have an experience, and I mean, not every company can have a marketeer who's also like an Olympian, <laughs> but like, like, you know, Kate Johnson at Google, but you can then make sure that you actually, you know, have the right people doing the strategy work for you, doing the research for you, and not like having a mindset for what it should be or what the KPIs should be before kind of digging into it deeper, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. And, and as you say, it's back to that authenticity and back to truly understanding deeply the, the topic that you're talking about. And I think you're right. And I think the consumer nowadays is pretty savvy at recognizing imposter brands, whether it's greenwashing or, or, or sports washing nations and governments and so on. So I think you're absolutely right. And I wonder if that's the same for publishers. At Football Co., we're obviously a leading global media business. We have multiple publishers, some global, some more local. Would you say that's the key word as well, authenticity, when thinking about coverage that a publisher like us might want to have? Perhaps creating a new women's football strategy, is that the same recommendation or are there other things that you'd suggest we think about? God, I could talk about this forever. Also because I used to be like, uh, you know, it's it's always obviously been... Um... When I used to be a, a sports writer and a sports caster, I mean, we were very few women in the in the business also. So it's kind of interesting and it's interesting to follow both like how it's developing in journalism, how, how you take like, you know, women's sports more seriously because you kind of have to. But I also think that it's... I, I'm sorry, but I have to say that, and and I, I I don't know, like I don't want to point out any specific publisher because I think that is more like a you know it could be anyone, but I think there is a to a certain extent where you're like, you're, it's kind of a cosmetical solution where you maybe you know you want to be like okay, so we're gonna put our number one expert on women's football to kind of show the audience that we're taking it seriously. But then that expert is not like hasn't seen one single game or shows up in the broadcast being like not really haven't done no research or being like really badly informed and not into women's football at all. So, you know, those things you really have to fine tune or maybe you the other way around, like you never have your, you know, number one writers or number one uh, uh, experts or sportscasters or whatever on women's football because, you know. You just like they don't know enough, but then it, it's kind of interesting. Maybe you you have to be authentic there too. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's tricky. 
you have to take it seriously and you have to have people that are actually caring about it for real. I know. Look, I, I completely agree with you. And, and it is a challenge. It is a challenge because I think on the one hand, and this goes back to that question about do you treat it the same way as men's football, which many football publishers will have done very well. That's how they've grown their audience. So do you treat it the same way? And do you see that as a means of creating parity or equality between men's and women's? Or do you treat it totally different? In which case, you're sort of starting from scratch. But there are benefits to that as well. You know, understanding the advantages of going into women's football, things like, I don't know, even easier access to players. Yeah, uh, it's um, A publisher like Goal finds it pretty easy to talk to women's players without too much trouble. Talking to the likes of Messi and Ronaldo for anyone in the world is, is difficult. So I think it's an interesting topic. Yeah. Nora, I'm also interested, you touched on your personal experience there. Are you very aware, have you been very aware of being a woman in what has traditionally been a closed shop only for men in pretty much the entire history of football? Is that something that you've always been very conscious of? Yeah, I mean, I'm old. <laughs> so I started like the late 90s. So yeah, I mean, you were, you, yeah, I had to be very aware. And I was like a, a first, the first, like I, I worked at Canal, Canal Plus, like they used to have the main rights for like Premier League and Serie A, etc. And I was the first woman there ever. So, you know, they were, weren't like, oh my God, how are we going to find clothes for her? And, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's been an interesting uh, journey, but I really appreciate it. But I mean, that's also, I remember, and this is like a true story. I remember that I actually had an actual nightmare waking up and being like all sweaty where people have accusing me for not caring about women's football enough. Because if you also look like 20, 20 years back in time, when you came as a female reporter, everybody was like, okay, so you're going to covering like equestrian or you're going to cover women's football. And, you know, I had other things in mind. I wanted to have a career. So I was like, no, I'm going to be at the, you know, World Cup for men's football. And then you're like, but then maybe you were kind of mistreating the women's football in that way. So that was like a, a, a true nightmare I had. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it has been really, I think it has been a lot of uh, development within that area. And you see like, you know, like most sportscasters or, uh, I mean, broadcasting in, in, in football in general does have women too. A little bit different in different uh, markets, I would say. And I think that it's easier, I hope, to, to make a career as a female sports writer or a sportscaster or whatever. But yeah, I think it's still, it's still not, uh, there are still some differences, I think so, unfortunately. Some what differences. Do you think? And I, I, what do I think? I think? I think I trust your word much more than I trust <laughs> mine. But, but I do suspect that now is different for a female journalist or broadcaster coming into the industry versus 20 years ago when you were starting out. I also think globally it's probably very different. We're both sitting here in Europe, and I suspect the scenario here is very different to what it might be elsewhere in the world. Um, I suspect the U.S. is, you know, significantly more advanced than us in in, in anything that it comes to um, women's football. Certainly, when it comes to the media, but I suspect other areas are less so. And in fact, I wanted to ask you about the work you've done with the Argentine and Mexican football federations. I imagine after FIFA or before FIFA or whenever it came, that must be. You know, we're talking about different clients, different goals, and presumably very different challenges. Definitely. And also, I think that you have to, like myself, I mean, 
Sweden has been uh, a quite big player, if you look to, to historically in, in women's football, also because I think of like the whole setup around like uh, gender stereotypes in sports. There is a lot of things like it's not not at all perfect here, but we come quite far when it comes to that. So I think that's also why we're quite strong in women's sports until the others, the the big the big countries, kind of understand that yeah, you should probably uh, you should probably do something there, and then we're we're not we're worthless. <laughs> no, not in women's you're back, football. You're back, back to the level of the well, maybe you're level with the men's side. I don't. <laughs> no, but I mean we're we're good in women's football still. But like the smaller sports, we've been historically good when it comes to women's the women's side because yeah. Never mind. So, like, coming from that background and working with FIFA that is global and then working, you know, more with Latin America, it's super interesting because you have to understand that the development is very different uh, in different parts of the world, right? And you have, to, you have to be respectful of that. You have to treat it, you know, we have to talk, connect with the market. You cannot be, like, too advanced or, like, you have to, to, to connect to the true storytelling. And I think what we did in Mexico was like a story around uh, Maribel, Maribel Dominguez, uh, who, who Marigol. Marigol, yes, exactly. So yeah, obviously one of the the bigger stars there. But uh, and and I mean she's my age, I think, and she uh, had to pretend she was a boy to play football at all. And that's not too long ago, right? But that's the that's the reality there. So I think that was like a really powerful story, and I think it connected very well there people kind of recognize themselves and that maybe is not the case in every market. And then in, in Argentina, I think it's again, like, you know, you always have to find an authentic way if you're going to like politicize football and, and that doesn't go only for women's football, football in general, in my opinion. But what we did there was like closely in collaboration with AFA and was also closely in connection with their uh, top flight of women's football. So we did something that was called the, the incomplete team to kind of highlight the, the homicide of, of women, which is very high in Argentina, uh, unfortunately. So we had like this activation where the teams came out on the pitch with fewer players than they like. So it wasn't 11 players. And the the like the lack of players were representing how many women were killed since they last played their game. So it was super strong and it went very viral and it was a, you know, a strong PR activation, I would say. But that's how you kind of, you know, you can connect. I guess both these cases tell you, tells you that you can connect quite emotionally with women's football. And, you know, I cry to Nike commercials. Sorry, I, I do that. So I think like there is an emotional part of it, which is really like overcome these uh, hurdles and overcome gender stereotypes and stuff like that, that I think also kind of... What can you say? It's a bigger perspective. Like it represents something bigger, but then like in the in the shape of women's sport, it's super strong. I agree with that. I think football and sport in general harness the power of emotions and generate incredibly strong emotions, and that's why we all keep coming back and watching, even you know when our team loses and even when it frustrates us and so on. But I do think men's football tells fantastic stories, but it tends to tell stories of players overcoming difficulties and now being in you know these incredible positions and it sort of it will tend to be you know overcoming a difficult youth overcoming poverty etc cetera, etc cetera. but i think what the women's game has still particularly in places like argentina and mexico and i was lucky enough to live in latin america for 4 years i remember the argentina campaign i was there when it when it happened 
it tells these stories and they're still going on. Uh, we we actually created content with Lorena Benitez, a footballer for the Boca Juniors and uh, the Argentina national team, in which we followed her daily routine. And she starts work at two o'clock in the morning in the municipal Buenos Aires market. She works till 2 p.m. and then she goes to training and then she goes home and looks after her two children. And it's an amazing story. And the content that comes out of that is is emotional. And, and we did that purely editorially without a brand because I guess that's where you start to think, is a brand being authentic? Because you could tell those stories with a brand. And a, I think the consumer would appreciate it so long as it was done in the right way. But you know, if, if you tried to sort of jam a brand in there and sort of take advantage of the emotion, then, then it wouldn't work. But it was, it was a very powerful piece. And uh, I absolutely appreciate that in Latin America, it is a different world completely and um, and there are different challenges to, to overcome. And still, I just have to say that I think it's, uh, you know, you're talking about like the access to player being a little bit easier in women's football, but it's also because like also like the biggest stars in European football, for example, you know, say players in Paris, Saint-Germain, etc. They are you know, happy when they're being interviewed or approached in a respectful way where you're like, you know, talking about their last game or whatever, like those small things still makes a difference with women's football arts, I think, and, and you know, creates a bigger access, etc. I don't know where I'm coming with this, but I just think that there's a, as you say, like there is, and as I said myself, there is a big difference between different countries and different parts of the world, but, you know, there's so much to be done and, yeah. I wanted to ask you, Nora, I wanted to ask you about what's the biggest challenge still facing women's football and maybe in the context of what you're saying about different markets being at very different stages of their evolution it's a difficult one to answer but if you had to pick one thing what would you would you land on yeah i mean if you look at it on a global level i think that is going to be that that is going to be hard thing to overcome that some countries well you don't have a proper league almost and then here in europe Actually, the biggest clubs are understanding that for, for many different reasons, sponsors, sustainability, whatever. But you really have to have a women's football team, which is, of course, bringing money to the, to the game, etc., which is also like attracting the biggest players, but making the inequality uh, quite big uh, when it comes to development. So I think that is a huge challenge if you look at women's football on a global level. How do you see that changing? I mean, talking about the coming years, thinking about the role of digital, thinking about the innovation that we've talked about today. Do you see those challenges being overcome? Do you think it's short term or is this a, a sort of long term journey and how positive are you about it? Well, I am positive. I'm, I'm quite an optimistic person in general, but I also think like as in my role as a marketeer, I think it's also like you have to believe kind of the power of the story. So I have to believe that whether it's growing you know, FIFA social media account on the women's side or whether it's telling like, you know, a powerful story like the one you told me about. I think that, you know, growing the presence of female players, growing the presence of female stars, you know, growing the the dream of actually being a professional player as, as a woman. I think those are still like pretty powerful tools to make women all over the world or little girls, so to speak, to, to actually start playing and to grow the game. Because of course, like the more players you have, then eventually the league will be more professionalized because then you will also have more fans and you will have sponsors, etc. So yeah, it's it's not the solution to everything to market women's football <laughs> or to cover it if you're um, in journalism. But I think it's a uh, it's still something that I believe in. I think it's an incredibly interesting space, and I think over the next 
years, the next few World Cup cycles, whatever it might be, it will be amazing to see if it can continue this growth because I don't think there are many sports in the world growing at the same pace as women's football. It's a 30% increase in fans who watched the 2019 World Cup versus the 2015 World Cup. Prize money is getting there. You know, it's still behind the men's, but it's getting there. Broadcast deals, whether it's the BBC and Sky Sports, paying for rights to show the Women's Super League, whereas previously the Women's Super League would give them away because they just wanted eyeballs or this zone deal globally with the Women's UEFA uh, Champions League and then putting it on, on YouTube. I think it shows that there is the appetite there and I think it would be fascinating to see where it will go in the next couple of years. And it's also such a, I mean, it's an amazing game. I, I mean, we can probably agree on that, football in general, because it's also like, I mean, this is the biggest game in the world. It's super easy to to take part of you doesn't it doesn't like you don't have to have a lot of money or equipment etc to to be able to play it so it's very accessible it's just that it hasn't been and in some parts of the world still isn't as accessible for women so there therefore there is an inevitable growth right and the story that you were you were just telling that we see everywhere like these female heroes being you know working full-time job while also playing in the highest league while also having kids i mean it's an amazing story, but it's also a hurdle because that's also why women or female athletes in any age stop playing because they don't see it as a professional career or they even maybe see it hindering their, you know, their other professional career or their attempt of, you know, having a family, etc. So I think there's a lot, lot to do there, of course, to kind of professionalize women's football to also make it more of a career path. Absolutely. Nora, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. If our listeners want to hear more or learn more about the work you're doing at Media Monks, where can they find out? MediaMonks.com, I would say. And all social channels, we're everywhere. Excellent. Thank you very much. Well, if you want to hear more episodes like this, make sure you are following this podcast on your preferred podcast platform or visit the archives on footballco.com. All the best. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football in association with Soccer X. Connecting football for 25 years.